I want to tell you about one of my, um, one of my teachers in college, at Vanier College. His name was Dave Clark. And yes, we had the same first name. His name was Dave Clark. Now, when I was doing, um, when I was at college uh, at Vanya, I was doing music there. And so this guy happened to be my saxophone teacher. And now he wasn't your typical sax player look. You know, you see sax players, you know, you have this kind of look or image in your mind. And he was like prim and proper. Um, he, he always dressed business casual, like all the time. Uh, and he always looked super neat. And maybe that jumped out to me because it was the complete opposite of me at the time. I'm not sure. But I just remember him in that way. And this guy, Dave Clark, although, you know, he kind of had his own way of doing things, he um, played a really crucial part uh, in my life, in a brief moment, I mean, he was my teacher for two years, but there was a moment, a conversation we had that I was, I was in transition. I was uh, deciding to scrap my second year of, um, of music at Vanier because I had a heart to serve God and ministry and, and, um, and mission, and I felt led to, to go into to, to basically study theology to help me prepare for that. And Dave, I remember one day we were sitting in a practice room uh, at a lesson, and I was telling him what I was thinking, and he just stopped me, and he, he just asked me, he says, why are you rushing? Why do you got to rush so he was, he does, he's not really a person of faith and didn't really uh, know much about the church, but he just spoke into me in that moment. He says, why are you rushing? Why are you anxious about this? Why do you feel like you've got to get like, to the next step right away? And, uh, and he, he kind of spoke into me and affirmed where I was musically. And then he said, look, why don't you finish this year? And he said, I promise you, you will be glad you finish. You will be glad that you kind of wrap this, this season of your life up and trust what happens afterwards. Now, this wasn't some preacher or Sunday school teacher or even a parent or friend of faith. This was my saxophone teacher. And I listened to him. And I did what he told me to do. The result was unexpected. I ended up finishing this program at Vanier. And I was headed for like a four-year degree at another school. And in this whole year at Vanier, when I stayed that second year, this new program opened up at the school I was going to go to. It was a two-year Bachelor of Religious Education, and by adding a few courses, I could get the equivalent of this four-year program in two with some extra work because I had the Vanier Diploma. I had no clue about this. And I thought, I would have never known. I would have left, scrapped my, my diploma, left for this Bachelor of Theology. And it was interesting because it was this one moment, this one moment has nothing to do with my schooling, but it's this one moment I want to focus on, this practice room at Vanier College that helped me make this significant decision that had huge positive results for me. And maybe there's a moment you can look back to in your life where someone spoke into your life, where something occurred that shifted something for you or maybe shaped the season of your life. And you can even remember where it happened and how it affected you. Maybe it was a moment where someone with true, genuine um, love said the words, I love you to you, or I forgive you, or come home. Or we can start over. And in that moment, something changed. Maybe everything changed for you. There's a story in the Gospels, in the New Testament, that Jesus tells us. And he, t- he tells us this story of a very significant moment that changed the life of a young guy. And this young guy had, uh, you know, had almost everything going for him in terms of like a success plan because his father was super wealthy. They had a whole bunch of land. Everything was great. But this young guy made a whole bunch of bad decisions. 
And Jesus tells this story about this young guy who made these bad decisions and almost lost everything. It's found in Luke 15. I'm not going to read it all. And if you're here for the first time and you don't even, you've never even opened the Bible, you know, just Google Luke 15. It'll get up or ask, borrow a Bible or find one and read the story for yourself. It's one of the most popular stories that Jesus has ever told. It's called The Prodigal Son or The Lost Son. And, it, and Jesus tells this story about a family. And we only really hear about the dad and the two sons the most. This wealthy family and this father has two sons and his younger son one day just decides, you know what, I'm fed up with this family. I'm fed up with what I'm doing. And he tells his dad, he says, listen, just give me half of your inheritance now so I could leave and go live my life. Now, first century Palestinian culture, the honor of a father, the honor of a family, that's like his son telling him, you know, dad, I wish you were dead. I just want your money, I don't want you, and I want to leave. And he does that. This young son actually does that, and the father gives him half the inheritance, and he goes off. And you wish he would have read the wealthy barber book or something to how to figure out how to use that money, but he didn't. Who cares if you don't know the book? But the point is that, <laughs> the, point is that he, the story goes on, and Jesus tells us that this young guy goes off, and he just parties like crazy, you know? He parties, he spends money, he eats well, he buys great things, he travels, he does everything he could possibly do. And he does so much of it that he comes to the end of the money and it's gone, it's over. He's so embarrassed. He's thinking, I can't go back to my dad. I can't go back to that place. So he figures out a way to survive and he finds a, a job cleaning a pig pen because he needs to eat. And he's eating like the food that the pigs eat almost, but he's so hungry. And he, there's a moment in this story, and it's, it's this verse in verse 17, and I love the line. It says, when he came to his senses, and he said this, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He comes to his senses in that moment. And, and I, I love kind of what happens next, and we'll read it together. It's, it's just the next, the next uh, couple of verses in verse 20. He, he ends up deciding, I'm going to go back to my dad's house. I'm going to see if he'll take me back. I mean, maybe I'll just get hired on as a servant. So look what he says. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate it. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Just think about that moment, this young guy who spends everything, who goes and squanders all the wealth, who breaks the bank and is found empty and dry and lost and just feeling finished. And he goes back to his father. And you have this meeting point of hope that I want to talk about in this next few moments. What a moment, what a meeting when their two worlds collide. This lost son and this loving father meet This wandering son and this welcoming father meet. And this extravagant feast for a son who wastes half of his dad's inheritance. Isn't that crazy? And he comes back home smelling like pigs. And he's like, hey dad, will you take me back? 
Really? What would a normal father do? What would a dad do? Even a great dad, would he not hesitate? Would he not think, is this going to help him or hurt him? And this dad does something extravagant. And Jesus tells us this story to give us a picture of what God feels for people that are wandering and lost without him. Jesus tells us the story to give us a picture of what God is like. In fact, if you're here today and you're unfamiliar with Jesus and you're unfamiliar with God or you wonder what God is like, the whole New Testament and especially the stories of Jesus exist to help us understand who God is. In fact, Jesus came to our world to show us who God was in the clearest picture possible. And here we get this picture of God, this world hungering for hope like this sun. And, this, and then God willing and waiting to offer hope back like that father did. And I just want you to pause for a moment because what really jumps out at me as I'm thinking about this space and this moment for us as a church and even you as our guest here, I want to point this out. Just pause at that scene. Think about that road. Think about the sun walking towards the house, this long maybe path or road towards his dad's house. And think of his dad on the other side, looking and seeing that his son is coming. And it tells us, Jesus tells the story in a way that gives this beautiful picture of God, this metaphor, but he says the father runs to the son. And the son is coming, debilitated, drained, poor, bankrupt. And they meet on this road. This one strip of road is so important I mean, it's never become a tourist spot because Jesus tells the story as a metaphor. It's never become a museum spot. It's never become a a political monument. But think of this spot on the road. This ordinary spot becomes a meeting point of hope. This ordinary ground where they're standing and walking towards each other, wherever they met, becomes this meeting point of hope that they would almost mark the ground and say, this is a start over. Hope is realized here. And it's the spot on the road where the father and the son meet and the father responds to his reckless son with love and mercy and welcome. And his son discovers the love of a father again, this love that was always there, always available, but he took it for granted. And at that spot, and I love this, this, this image, at that spot, hope was realized. At that spot, hope was discovered and received. And this story, this moment, became this vision for us as a church almost a year ago when we were uh, leaning into what this could look like a year ago. We shared this story on a weekend and we started to, this story became kind of like a, a vision for us because we thought to ourselves, that's what we want this location to be. We don't really, we don't really care for amazing walls or or this or that. We wanted something good and structured and everything. But what we thought about this location was we want this place to be a meeting point of hope. That when people come, there's a convergence that happens. That hope is discovered and received. And these ordinary walls and these epoxy floors and the carpet or, or wood right underneath me, the, the simple decor is just, that's what it is. But we envision that this space would be this meeting point of hope. That whatever we would do here, whatever we would start here, that we would long for people to find hope here. There's a story of um, 
an author tells us, her name is Emily Freeman, and I heard a podcast interviewing her, and she writes this book called Simply Tuesday, because she was determined and felt this conviction that too often we miss out on ordinary things around us. So she writes this book called Simply Tuesday, and she tells a story in this book about um, her, her cul-de-sac where she lives in her neighborhood, and she, she found that there was the, these three women, older women, um, senior women in her neighborhood that would sit at the benches on the cul-de-sac that she could see from her window. So one day she sees them talking, and she sees these three women talking there around these benches, and she's curious, and she's like, I'd love to go meet them. And these benches were kind of newer in the neighborhood, and so this was kind of a new thing that she was seeing. So she leaves her house, and she goes to chat with these ladies, and she just hangs out with them for a while. She knows they're just talking about, like, stories from the past, their kids, uh, different things that went on in life, and just sharing experiences. And she hears them talk, and she ends up going back. She kind of greets them, goes back to her kitchen. She's observing them, and she, they're hanging out for over an hour talking at these benches. And then it hit her. It hit her. Those benches. Those benches became a place for conversation. Those benches became a place for connection. Those benches became a place where these women were able to share their stories. And it's interesting. She didn't hear the women say anything extraordinary. And she realized it's not that the women had nothing to say. They had lots to say. But the benches brought them together. The benches created an environment for those stories to be unleashed. And those benches became a place where it happened. Now just picture those benches for a moment, and I'm going to kind of come back to the story of Jesus. Jesus continues the story, and something interesting happens in this whole scenario. Because there's two sons in the story, not just one. There's a younger one, but there's also an older son. When the older son hears uh, what happens... He's getting mad. He's getting jealous. He's getting aggravated. He's, he's, something's welling up inside of him, this envy, this, this anxiety, and he's really mad. And this is what he says. Listen, verse 29 to 30. He answers the father when the father says, what's wrong? Because when, when this party's going on, the older son didn't even go. He didn't even want to be there. He couldn't take seeing his, his younger brother there. And the father says this, look, all these years, I've been slaving for you and never... Oh, this is what the son says. Uh, All these years, I've, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. That's what, the, that's what he says. That's what he tells his dad. And his dad's response is amazing. His dad says this to him. Maybe it's not on the screen, but this is what's written in the story that Jesus tells. He says, my son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. So this angry older son leashes out to his dad. And his dad says, son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. In other words, he's telling his son, I have always had love for you. The older son missed it because he was moralistic, because he was a scorekeeper, because he had an overly religious spirit. And it's this one phrase, when the father says, you know, I've always been here for you. In other words, my love has always been available. And I have that line on the screen because I want us to think about that. The father's love was always available for both sons. One son ditched it and went, 
and disregarded and went off. And one son was trying to gain the love of his father through all of his works. In some sense, they both missed it. And I love this thought that there was always love in the father. It didn't just pop up. See, hope didn't just show up on the road when they met. It's not like out of nowhere when the father and son met, like hope just appeared. Or like there was a flash of hope. No, there was hope already there, ready within the father to give to the son. It was this moment where the son discovered it or rediscovered it. It was always there inside the father for the son. The son's hunger and the father's hope met on that road. They just needed a meeting point. These ladies just needed a bench to share their stories. A father and son have this meeting point where hope is unleashed back into the son. See, what gives us vision, I think Steve said this a little bit in his, what he shared, what gives us vision for this space is not the building, it's the hope that God has already established for you and for me and for everybody we lock eyes with. This was such a reminder to us today because our teams have worked so hard and at 9.35, a box back there blew up. And we had no sound. And we're like, oh, that's nice. And we just thought, but it was, it was bad and good at the same time because it was obviously bad. But, but the good part was, it was just a reminder to us. This building doesn't give us hope. This sound system does, doesn't give us hope. This stage doesn't give us hope. The walls don't give us hope. Jesus gives us hope. And what we offer to you and to one another is really the heart of the gospel. It's not a building. But yet we see this building as a meeting point where the hope that's already available for us in Christ can be discovered by people. That's our vision. That's our heart. We want people to find spiritual hope, the good news of Jesus. We want people to find the overflow of that hope and goodness. You know, Rick Warren, who's a popular author and a pastor in the States, wrote the, church, wrote the book The Purpose Driven Life and many other books, and, and he's traveled the world. The last couple of years, 10 years or so, he's been really moving into some justice issues as well, but always rooted in the local church. And he said this line once, I never forget it. He said, I've been to so many towns and villages all over the world. And not every town has a school that he visited. Not every region had a clinic. Not every place had an orphanage. But almost every place had a church. And he said the beauty is that the church became the distribution system that God was using to distribute hope. And I thought, what a beautiful vision of what that could look like, offering spiritual hope, physical hope, and social hope, all rooted in the love of God, which is the gospel. In a couple of weeks from now, this whole space is going to be reconfigured to have a holiday shopping experience for under-resourced families in the West Island. And family parents are going to come and shop for free for their kids. We're going to partner with West Island Mission, and they're an amazing organization in, in the West Island. And this whole space is going to be used for, for, for things that we long for it to be used for, to distribute hope. Maybe it's more on the social hope side that day, but our heartbeat is that that's an overflow of the spiritual hope that God gives us. Now, I want to just kind of close with helping you think about one piece of this. Because obviously, you know, as we're here today, we love celebrating what God's done and just this this new um, vision and and space that we're in. But this story, it's not just this meeting point. And yes, it's given us a vision. But this story says something about you and it says something about me. And what it says about you and about me is that every soul hungers for hope. 
What it says about you and me and everyone you lock eyes with during the week, every soul hungers for hope. We find ourselves in this story that Jesus says. Whether it's the reckless young brother who kind of squanders everything, many of us can relate to that recklessness. Many of us can say, yeah, that's the kind of way that I pursue life. I pursue meaning and purpose through pleasure and, and, and consuming things. And you can relate to the recklessness of the young son. Maybe it's the religious older brother that you can relate to that. Yeah, I've tried to go about my life and find meaning through, through du- dutiful uh, service and being really good and being perfect with people and maybe even trying to please God that way. And it's interesting. There's this reckless side pursuing meaning through pleasure, this religious side pursuing meaning through perfection, and both of those avenues, the younger brother, the older brother, they're both void. They're both empty, and none of them really lead you to God. And often those two scenarios, reckless and religious, sometimes it influences how we, how we think God sees us. Because if we, we sometimes, if we're reckless, we might say, wow, everything I do seems to disqualify me from God. So why even bother? God doesn't love bad people. If we're on the re- more religious side, like the older brother, you might think everything I do qualifies me for God. Everything I do, God should love me. He should care for me. And both those paths are empty. And here's Jesus' main point of the story. There's a better way. It almost sounds unfair when, when, you, when you see the heart of this story. Because we love the measurement systems. But Jesus goes, breaks those rules. And it seems unfair. Think about what the father did for the younger son and what he said to the older son. Son, he welcomes him back fully to the older son he lets him know nothing that you did makes me love you more to the younger son he says nothing you do makes me love you less and to the older son he says nothing you do makes me love you more and we sometimes find ourselves in those two camps and the radical nature of God, and I asked the band to come up as we slowly come to a close here. The radical nature of God is this. Jesus is telling us God responds to us, not out of our recklessness and not out of our, religious, our religiosity. God responds to us out of his mercy and his grace because he loves us, because he cares for us. God sent Jesus for the reckless and for the religious because neither path will get anybody to God. Neither path will get anything, anybody what their heart, human heart, really longs for. So amazing. When you read, if, if, you're, if you're new to the, the scriptures or unfamiliar with it, sometimes you're like, well, this the Bible, you know. I mean, it, it, there's law in it or history or, you know, there's these prophets or stories about this nation called Israel. There's a lot of teaching in it, and there is. You know, you can read about law, you can read about history, you can read about... Um, you can read incredible teaching. But the, those kind of things I mentioned, history, law, teaching, narrative, that's all familiar genres of writing to us. But when the, when the stories of Jesus were written, they didn't call them law or history or narrative or poetic or teaching. They used a new word. The word was gospel. Because the the life and teachings of Jesus was so fresh and so purposeful that you could not just categorize it as here's a moral framework or here's some teaching or here's some narrative or here's some poetry. It's called gospel because it's good news. 
That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. And that's good news for the hunger we all have for hope. And just as, you know, as I kind of finish talking here in this moment, I want us to recognize, just like that father was running to the son, God was running for you, running for me, running for all of us. And just like that father spoke to the older son and says, I have, you don't need, there's nothing you can do to, that, that will measure you up for me to love you more. That's what God's telling us. And, and as, we, as we move into this next moment, I want us to reflect on that because maybe there's some of us here that maybe just came today for the first time or came because of a friend, a friend told you or came because we have a new spot. And I just, I long for you to at least leave this place knowing that there's goodness and good news in God. He loves you. He runs towards you. And he, and, he, and he approaches us with mercy and grace. That might seem unfair in the systems we create in our, in our mind. But Jesus blows unfair out of the water. That's the hope we have. The team's going to sing this next song. And as they're singing this song, I, I hope you can reflect on that. Maybe even take a moment and respond to God. God might be working in your heart. You might be drawn to say, I, I would love more of that. So take this next song, this reflective moment, to think about that, and I'm going to come back and, and pray at the end of that. That's awesome. I think those words say exactly what Jesus was trying to get across with this story. You know, There's nothing we could do to gain his love more. There's nothing we can do for him to love us less. But we can respond to him and receive him you know, just even though hope was always available, the son still ran, had to run to the father. The son still had to come. The son still had to step in to receive and desire and want and welcome what the father had for him. And that's the same for you and me. Hope is available. God's love is available. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to make God love us less. But we, we must respond. We're going to pray for a moment um, before we move into just one more uh, brief time of worship today and head towards a close. And, and I want to just pray for you and pray with you. And if, if your heart is there today in some sense that you're just saying, Lord, I'd love to hear about this more. I'd love to know about this more. I'd love to, to understand this more. Really simply, just kind of pray along with me. Um, express your own heart, your, your desire that you're sensing right now in this room with us. Um, and we'll pray with you. Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful. Thank you for this picture that Jesus gives us of you. Thank you for the clarity, the joy, the rich love. Thank you for breaking through what we as humans want to categorize as what gets us to you. Thank you that this story breaks those categorizations. Thank you that your love and your hope is already available for us. And so God, we want to, we respond. We say yes. And I know many in this room have said yes over the years and have been walking with you and learning from you and discovering the life that comes with following your son Jesus. And as there's some in this room today, they're maybe just reflecting on that, hearing this for the first time, or maybe it's a reminder of God. Help them see 
the beautiful opportunity that's before them to say yes to the love that's already there for them in you, that you showed us in Christ Jesus. Give them the courage and the faith um, to turn to you, put their trust in you and believe in you and put their faith in you and discover a wonderful relationship with you. If that's you, I just encourage you to um, say something similar to the Lord, your trust, your faith, your belief. Help you step into what he has for you. God, as we consider what this space can be used for, Lord, it's ordinary. It's walls and floors and lights and electricity. But Lord, we long for it to be a meeting place of hope for our friends and neighbors in our community. We so long for the hope that you already have ready for them, that this place can be a point where people discover it. We pray for the, the true and deep necessary spiritual hope that comes in knowing Jesus and we also pray God that out of our relationship with you out of our hope in you God a continual hope can overflow in practical practical and tangible ways we want to be this kind of community for our region so give us the, the strength and the energy and the resources God to lead us towards that in Christ's name we pray Amen